Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen, an international menopause expert, author, and speaker. I help women go from feeling uncertain, uncomfortable, and struggling to experiencing a new sense of confidence, freedom, and vitality. My own story mirrors that of thousands of women that I have connected with through writing my book, speaking engagements, and coaching. Like you, I felt unprepared, unsupported, and at times dismissed by family, employers, and even doctors. That's why I created this podcast as a place of advocacy, offering facts, resources, and a community where you can become more empowered to take control of your menopause journey. Join us each week as we dive into honest, open, raw conversations on the topics that matter deeply to menopausal midlife women. From our changing bodies to our relationships, to dealing with menopause and aging at work and in society. My mission is to help you to tap into our collective wisdom so you can emerge more powerful, wiser, not just older, thriving and ready to embrace wholeheartedly the next chapter in your life. Welcome to another episode of Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen, and today... We're going to be talking about women's health, wellness, and a lot about why aging is a fact. Well, let's face it, we're aging from the time that we're born, the minute we're on this earth. But, you know, as we get a bit older, the thing we want to recognize is that it doesn't have to be about disaster or chaos. It can be about feeling great, looking and feeling that way. And my guest today is somebody who had the last 15 years has been making that a central part of her work. And her business is Rebellious Wellness Over 50. Well, that maybe says it all to you. But welcome to the show, Greg Ann Cox. Thank you so much, Clarissa. It's a pleasure to be here. That's great. I mean, Greg, just tell me a little bit about the work that you do. And 15 years, that's a long time to be working with women's wellness. It is. And I fell into it almost. I had been a chef for 27, 28 years or working in kitchens. And then I woke up one day and said, I can't do this anymore. I will go back and finish my psych degree. But where I lived, there was not an adult ed program that I wanted to attend. But somebody said, you know, why don't you try life coaching? I thought, oh, that sounds like hooey. However, after some research and a little bit of muscle testing and a few other woo things, I discovered that it would actually be a good move for me to use my gifts and skills. Well, life coaching led to health coaching because at the time I started, just about then, I was starting to have the early pangs of perimenopause. And I didn't understand what was happening because my mom died years before that. And even if she hadn't, she may not have known how to speak to me about the oncoming changes, physical and otherwise. So I started doing research and I started writing about it on my blog because I had a website and a blog. And one thing led to another. People started asking me, well, how did you do this? And how did you know to do that? And what doctors do you recommend? And so I sort of moved over into health coaching for women. I had a certificate in in nutrition. I got certified as a weight loss coach on top of the life coaching. And I just started studying. And the more I got into it, the sort of my rebellious personality was on high alert, let's put it that way, because so much of the information that women were receiving or the lack of information, the stuff they weren't receiving, on the side that it was wrong, I felt like it needed to be righted, or at least there needed to be alternatives suggested. 
and some attention needed to be paid to women who are having very real symptoms, but often dismissed. And that is how I ended up here. The first business was called Midlife with a Vengeance. But once I moved clearly out of, well, I don't know what the middle really is, but I felt like I wanted a broader category and I wasn't so much in vengeance mode anymore. I was sort of in ease and grace mode. So I changed the name to Rebellious Wellness over 50. I love that. Absolutely love that name because it's got that essence, hasn't it, of zest and going, no, I'm not doing what you think I should do. It's much more about what we feel and need. Absolutely. I often start with a client wanting to know how they want to feel. And you may have had the same conversations with women. They have something they want to fix or cure. And so the next question after what it is that you want to fix or cure is how will that make you feel? Once you have achieved this thing or gotten rid of that thing, how do you want to feel or what do you think you'll feel like? Because measuring at this age, especially when it comes to the numbers on the scale or how many hours we sleep, when we set targets with numbers, the body often goes at its own pace and we get disappointed. But if we have a feeling in mind, or maybe a goal of wanting to go somewhere, so then we have to be healthy enough to get there. That also involves a feeling. Then we can see glimmers. Oh, I had that feeling today of what it's going to feel like when I'm really at my goal or when I've really gotten moved beyond, let's just say my old career. I knew what I wanted to feel like, and I wasn't feeling that in the work that I was doing anymore. I had lost my, it had lost its intrigue. So I needed to feel that back in my life. And once I started discovering the wellness and uh studying all that, it lit me up. I love that. It lit you up. And I think that's the feeling that both you and I, and I think anybody who's working in health and life coaching wants their client to feel like they, they be, become the woman who, who lights up the room. But you mentioned in your story something about women being dismissed. Was that your own experience as well, Greg? Hmm. I. It must have been, <laughs> let me just think back. I think originally it wasn't so much that, it wasn't so much my symptoms were dismissed as not real. They were dismissed as this is what happens at your age. And when I said I didn't want to, because doctor, a doctor offered me hormone bioreplacement, not bioidentical, but hormone replacement therapy. And I had already read about them and they were, you know, negative consequences from those medications. And I said, no, I don't, I don't want to do that, but there are alternatives. And at that point, I had to find a new doctor because my doctor at the time said, this is all we got. This is the best we can do. I'm not saying that he was lying. It's all he knew to do, but there were other options out there for me. So I went in search of, and I think that's part of the, the message of Rebellious Wellness Over 50 is don't stop asking for the for something that will make you feel the way you want to feel. Unless you've exhausted every possibility on the planet, there's probably something out there that will help you. And I like that. That's an important point that doctors sometimes tell you all what they know. And it's not that what they know is wrong. It's all they know. And you have to keep, you have to keep on that journey if you are clear, I think, Greg, about what you want. And I think that's possibly the, that gap is really important between what you're told you can have and what you want to happen. I think quite often that's the work between is knowing what we want. Yes. And do you find, Clarissa, that sometimes if you ask somebody, so what do you really want instead of this? They just don't know. It's hard to articulate. Let's put it that way. Yeah. 
it's very hard. And I think when we ask them, well, how would you like to feel? What have you tried before? Then, yes, you're right. It's hard for us to say. We're often very good at saying what we don't want rather than what we do want. I also feel like we we're conditioned inadvertently or directly to not want too much. And especially when it comes to aging, for a woman who to say, well, I don't want to have diabetes anymore, or I want to have the energy I used to. Well, there's somebody waiting around the corner or some article online that's going to say, at a certain age, you can't have that. You don't get to have as much energy. Your energy will diminish, you will diminish. And so I think maybe some women are afraid to say, honestly, but what I really want is, now granted, there are going to be physical changes. I'm not saying that this is, you know, that we can reverse aging to the point where we're 30 again or physically feel that way. But I feel that between the way we think about aging and the way we physically take care of our, the self-care that we apply to our aging bodies, we can still have a zest for life, energy, happiness, joy, ease, all those things. Yes. And it, you're right. We can't stop aging. Although I'm interested in the book I'm reading right now, which is Ageless by somebody who's a, he's a scientist, but he, but he is very much promoting that kind of, well, he sort of starts talking about tortoises and the Galapagos who are hundreds of years old. And he said, you know, technically that's possible, you know, but, you know, we are conditioned to believe that we're going to become frail and not be able to do anything we want to do, not be able to think clearly. And that's become, you know, our reality as long as what we think we're going to become, we do become. Yeah. There's a book also similar to what you're talking about by a scientist named David Sinclair. And the book is Lifespan. And he is, and he started, he's a big startup, serial entrepreneur. He's had a few startups. And he's a person who looks into the future from a genetics point of view. How can we manipulate our genes to correct some of the things that do happen. Our sight gets worse, our, our hearing may get worse, and you know we lose mobility. And some of the experiments that he's talking about are insane. I mean, they sound insane to me, like transplanting pig cornea into human eyes and all these things. But let's face it, this is the cutting edge of, or the final frontier, right, is all of these ways we're going to manipulate the body into having longer life. But what I liked about what he said, and you can tell me whether your book also says this, there's no sense in giving people more life more years unless they can have more life in their years, right? Right. It's exactly the same kind of message that if we're going to live to be 100, 103, 105, whatever as the norm, then it's got to be some more quality in our lives than... But yes, but this sense of we can live to 100, and of course lots of people do, and it, it's interesting that we're actually talking about this because my sister sent me a video of my grandma and it's on her 103rd birthday. And, you know, the difference between her 100th birthday and three years later was really marked. You know, when she was 100, she was well in that party, I can tell you. <laughs> she had her purple shawl on and she had her lipstick and her hair done, but she was incredibly frail three years later. In fact, she passed away two months after that video was taken. Well, 103 is a very, a very big age today. And you know, it is that quality of life. And I think from her sort of mid-90s onwards, the quality of her life really did decline. And I think that's become, you know, almost what we expect. And it doesn't have to be that way. No, and I guess it depends on what we see as realistic for 
a 90, 100-year-old. You know, we don't have very many images of these people, nonagenarians and octogenarians living, or centenarians, as they live their daily life. We always see a picture of them in a chair or at a birthday party and everything looks great or maybe it doesn't look so great, but we don't know what goes on in their minds usually. We haven't had a lot of, I haven't read a lot of interviews with people to know how they feel about what they're able to do. And so I guess we have to adjust how we perceive ourselves too. And I know it's very hard for women, many women, not all, will look at their body first and say, oh, but it's not what it used to be or, oh, my knee's wrinkled and this and that is wrong. <laughs> Imagine being, we're not there yet. Neither one of us are in our 80s or 90s. But so I don't know whether, does that go away? Do we not care about how we look as much so that we can just focus on the day-to-day and the birds outside our window? I, I don't know that. I'm not too sure if I know that either. I can only look at people like my grandmother. And I've had a, I've had a family where a lot of people have lived to be 1900. <laughs> so I think that might be my prognosis too. But I think that they were incredibly active up until their early to mid 90s and they certainly cared about what they looked like <laughs> definitely definitely there was a lot of putting on nice bits of jewelry and lipstick and all the rest but then as they got older they get frailer and i think what i noticed was they sleep a lot people who are very old sleep a lot so they don't have the same energy and they do end up sitting in a chair but when they are awake, their minds are pretty sharp for quite a long time. Um, and there's obviously people like my mother who had dementia and passed away in her late seventies, as did my aunt. Not my, she's not my blood relative. But they were gone very quickly. But others really lived and were very sharp in their minds. But just that the body sort of failed them in those last five to eight years. Maybe that's just we're worn, we're worn out. Yeah, maybe. And you know what, if I live to be whatever age I live to be, I just want it to be so that I'm still able to do for myself with others, be in community, connection, know where I am, right? I, I just I know that's everybody's dream is to pass away peacefully in their sleep, because we know it's going to happen at some point. So I do what I can to make sure well I, not to say make sure that's you know a fool's errand i think i can make sure that i stay well till i die but i'm doing what i can in your work you're obviously working with women who are then over 50s what are some of the key areas that women really want to work on and which you're trying to help them in terms of really looking and feeling well so i have to divide it really into a couple of categories the women that are newly over 50 perimenopause just menopausal they have other concerns and other, they're thinking differently, right? They're dealing with hot flashes or sleeplessness or, you know, half a dozen other things. The women that are 60 or closer to or in their mid-60s are, you know, thankful that that's over, but they have different concerns because they start to see their body. Maybe their energy is flagging slightly. Maybe they're on a few medications. I, I talked to a lot of people that would like to get off medication. It seemed like a good idea at the time. They were busy still in their 50s. The doctor said, oh, you have high blood pressure. You should take this. Okay, great. Well, now they find out that there are side effects, et cetera. So in the 50s, it's really symptom relief. It's probably why am I gaining weight? At 60, 60 something, it's more how can I do the future or what can I do for my future self that I haven't thought of yet? Or maybe I'm a little lazy. I'm really more of a couch potato, especially since COVID hit. I want to get back into the proactive aging, I'll call it. 
So different, but some things overlap as similar because anything you do at 50 that's good for you is certainly going to still be good for you at 60 or 70. Yeah, that's very true. And and quite different, as you said, quite different concerns. You know, that, yes, the, the sort of perimenopausal, menopausal women, I mean, that is really a lot of managing symptoms I hear from you there, Greg. Yeah, it is. And there are, thank God for the Google, Dr. Google, but then again, shame on you, Dr. Google. There are so many conflicting opinions out there. So if a woman just goes online or talks to her girlfriends, and I have to say, I say this all the time, our bodies are not the same, even though we feel symptoms similarly. So when we talk to our mother or sister girlfriend about something we are having that they did have or are having, and we say, well, let's try this together. It will. It might work for one of the three women and not for the other two or vice versa. And then we look on Google and there are thousands of articles about every symptom and, you know, organic, natural, olive oil, <laughs> so many things they say will help. But will it really? Is it a waste of your time or should you go down that path? That's where I think, you know, people with expertise in areas, even if you can find if you like to go to the doctor, there's nothing wrong with that. An endocrinologist who can help because those are people that deal with hormones. My frustration for a lot of clients I have, because of course I'm not a doctor, is finding that doctor who will, they can all get the blood work done, but then when they read the blood work, especially for thyroid problems, a lot of them are not educated in the full, first in the full weight of thyroid health. And hormones really rule the day. I don't care what age we are, but of course we feel them a lot when we're in our 50s, perimenopausal, menopausal, and then later with the decline of certain hormones like estrogen. But those aren't the only ones in the body that matter. No, definitely not. I mean, I think that's a very key thing to say that other hormones really are playing a role here. Your thyroid hormones, your insulin levels, your cortisol levels are all incredibly important. And I, I sometimes wonder, and love your thought on this, that they get compartmentalized. It's like it's all about estrogen, progesterone, and, and, and we don't even talk about testosterone in women, and then everything else is forgotten. Yes, I totally agree. And I think that when people talk about hormones, there are sex hormones that you just mentioned. They forget that cortisol is actually a hormone, the, you know, the relationship between the stress in their lives and the thing called cortisol. That is off to the left. Maybe it's a hormone. I don't know. All of the sugar balancing is regulated by hormones, like you said. So I think that we tend not to think of the things that are in sex hormones as having that much power or influence over how we feel day to day, and certainly does. Glucose management is huge. Inflammation related to stress, et cetera, are also adding to problems and symptoms. And even if, even if a woman breezes through menopause, doesn't have a single symptom from estrogen and progesterone, going down, they may have symptoms from other hormones influencing how they feel, usually their energy and their sleep. Yes. Yeah. And when we know that women sleep very badly, I mean, that's almost a symptom of us getting older, but that isn't always to do with, with our sex hormones. No, absolutely not. No. So I think that's an important message that, you know, you might want to compartmentalize it and blame it all on sex hormones. But in fact, it's your whole body we need to be thinking about. Absolutely. The, so serotonin, the feel-good hormone, the most serotonin receptors are actually found in our gut. And I don't think most people relate their gut 
to the way they feel unless they, of course, have heartburn or something. But these hormones live everywhere in our bodies and are affected by every single thing. I have my one of my key foundational pieces is under the umbrella of everything is food. Every thought that we think and every food that we actually put in our mouths and eat creates a hormonal cascade. They are no different because we're all energy. Everything is energy going into us and around us. And I think that's a good way for people to check in about how they're experiencing their day and doing their day, the people in their lives, their environment, their diet, movement, all of that. Yes, definitely. And I, and definitely that food, something is related to that because either we're hungry or we're thirsty or we're eating for our emotions or we're grabbing something on the run. And we all do that. I mean, we're not, you know, admitting that we don't. But it's really about how we balance that and work with that. So you're right, so much of our whole wellness resides in our gut. Mm -hmm. So thinking about that, I mean, you mentioned something there that was you know, important, that as we get into our 60s, we're often experiencing something a bit different, being concerned possibly about our future self, yeah? I think so. I I would say for myself, I... You know, every generation doesn't see what's ahead of them, because even though we see other people and we hear things, we get wisdom passed down to us, I don't think we can incorporate it. So I was sure that the energy I had in my 50s, I was going to be exactly the same in my 60s. And one day I realized after cooking a whole day, because I still do cook for people occasionally and sometimes for myself doing a party, I was way more tired at the end of that day of standing on my feet cooking then I would have been behind that uh, five years before that. So what that said to me was, maybe I have to plan not to have less energy, but to have room to make a, an adaptation in my schedule in case I don't have energy like I used to. Or maybe I can go to bed a half an hour earlier if I'm extra tired. Maybe I can lie in for a half an hour, right? So I think for me, it brought an awareness to just giving myself some slack because I'm a person who like, I don't know about you, but I like to get a lot done in the day, let's put it that way. <laughs> the same with my exercise. I love to exercise. I have my favorites and I'm not a good slow down exercise person. I, I kind of like to go and do it fast, like a spin ride or a power walk. Or, But I realized that I wasn't doing as much weight training because I tend to like my fast things. And one day I went to pick up the big hulking thing of cat sand, cat litter, which is 40 pounds. And it was really heavy. It was heavier than I remember it being. So that said to me, again, in how I'm thinking differently about the future, maybe I need to pay more attention to weight training. And every day I put on socks, I think, how's my balance? Can I lift one foot up? Like all these things. And maybe because I'm in this world of wellness and helping other people, I'm very cognizant of it. But I concern myself with things like balance and energy and muscle tone, because I know that those are the kinds of things that want to go away when we get older. That's absolutely right. You know, yes. And I noticed that my balance is, isn't what it once was, you know, and I, even though I still practice yoga, I noticed that I find it a little harder to do some of the more complicated balancing things. And I'm thinking, well, what are you doing? You can stand. And I can't, so I stand on one leg. I do silly things like that to see if I can still stand. Oh, I do too. <laughs> it's so funny. I do too. My husband will walk through the room and saying, say, what are you doing? By now, he knows not to ask. He says, oh, you're, you're balancing. Okay, because <laughs> it's just a thing. But it is things like that. And it's still being sure that you can 
bend down and touch your toes and that you're still flexible in your whole body. And you're right that we have still have some strength to lift. I mean, a lot of my lifting is kind of in the garden, lifting things. And uh, sometimes I'm like, I don't. I don't think I can. You know, they're like you with the cat sand, I'm the same sometimes. I think, well, that's a bit much, you know. And that being on your feet all day can really affect you differently as we've obviously been going through our house moving. And, and I stood up for about four hours and I, I quite felt that when I'd been packing all sorts of stuff for, for hubby. <laughs> and uh, I felt that more than I would have done five, ten years ago. I would have breezed through that. Absolutely. Yeah. So again, not to, not that we should feel bad about it. It is what it is. Energy will decline. And I know that there are still super athletes out there competing and running and they also have slower times, probably less endurance, right? So it's just what happens. And I think we have to find a way to, to be okay with it and still do what we enjoy to the limit that we can. Yes. And as you said, practice on those things, keep our weights up, you know, and I think all of us need to do, even if our weights are small, aren't they? They don't have to be massively heavy, but but we can work with small weights. We can practice balancing, even if, it's, as you said, standing on one leg. We can keep our, our, our bodies and our spines, you know, sort of flexible. We don't have to become stiff and stale. No, and I was listening. I, I did a uh, an interview on my podcast with I don't remember the title, but it was a it was a person who deals with aging bodies and exercise. And she was talking, we were looking at each other on a screen. And as she began to talk about how something called screen neck, which is the head always bowed forward because people are on their screens, I felt myself sitting up a little straighter, pulling my shoulders down, putting my head back. And I thought, I have got to remember that because I, you know, clearly we didn't grow up with screens the way kids are today. So I think we've got an advantage in that regard. But it's very easy to just sit hunched over a computer for hours at a time. I mean, I look at my phone, I don't stare at it all day, but it was a good reminder. Definitely. It is a good reminder that we are sitting. And, and I notice if I haven't sat straight these days in my chair, you know, that I sort of go, I can feel it in the part of my body, which I might have brushed over, you know, a few years back. But no, I can I can feel that. And so I have to be more cognizant of how I'm sitting and that I'm well supported and that I'm comfortable at night. And and that's about self-care. But we definitely need to have those aspects. You mentioned something else as well about people over 60. Maybe I'm interested because I'm also over 60. <laughs> but, but that some of them are thinking about cutting back or, or giving up some of their medications that they might have been taken earlier. Yes. And I think, as I said, there are things we do and then we say later, oh, that seemed like the right idea at the time, but now I've learned something more. I've gotten new information. So for instance, blood pressure medication, as I mentioned, or cholesterol medication. And I'm not by any stretch the imagination insinuating that somebody should just drop their medication. That would be dangerous. Anything that is like that would be done with a physician or a practitioner that you trust. But when we learn something new, such as cholesterol medication can have debilitating side effects, you know, pain in the joints and muscle pain. And in every many countries, I won't say every country, many countries, when a patient is given a statin for cholesterol, on the package it says, you must supplement with a vitamin called CoQ10 because CoQ10 
CoQ10 is what feeds the heart energy and statins deplete the levels of CoQ10 in the body. So they say, put that back, put that into your body at the same time you do this and you have a better chance of not having a problem losing your energy. Well, in America, we don't have those warnings. And sometimes after years of taking medications, people really start to feel their energy is so low or they're achy, they get tired faster. And when you do some research, you'll find it, you know, look up your, a lot of people checking into their medications now because there's so much online about them. And many doctors are offering more than one, two, three prescriptions at a time. And so people are concerned about the interactions. There are a lot of people being more of their own patient advocate than we've seen in the past. So somebody may say, how do I get off of my cholesterol medication? Well, does your cholesterol need to be as low as it is? I purport from my studies that we are, at least in this country, crazy about lowering cholesterol for all the wrong reasons. There's a target number and there's no, there's nothing about the person that we're looking at these numbers to do with whether they get this medication or not. It's, they're highly contraindicated for women to begin with. Women over 70, really not indicated as a relief or any kind of, or prevention from heart disease or stroke. And cholesterol actually is a good thing. Every cell in the body uses cholesterol. We need cholesterol to synthesize vitamin C and get the benefits of vitamin D, sorry. So again, I think what causes women to all of a sudden say, or men too, I really think I would like to get off these medications. What should I do? It's a function of them learning something or just not feeling well and finding out that maybe these medications are contributing to. I'm not saying they could cause every last aspect of you know low energy, but they could be contributing to it. Yes, that, and that's absolutely correct. So I think, yes, we're not advocating people give them up, but I think there are ways to reduce them and maybe in some cases do come off. I mean, I was somebody myself who had high blood pressure medication. I was under extreme stress during my late 40s and early 50s and perimenopausal, both of which are, you know, indications that you can develop high blood pressure. And the prognosis was that I would be on that medication for the rest of my life and he would just keep increasing the dose. And I began practicing mindfulness and I got back into uh, more yoga. I started to sleep better. My weight went down. And consequently, I halved the dose of my blood pressure medication in a matter of months. And today I don't take medication. And when I, I get checked regularly, my, I am at a normal level for somebody my age. So that doesn't mean that it's what they're telling you you should be when you're 25. But for my age, that your blood pressure does go up slightly as you age. But I am perfectly in the safe, healthy range. And the thing about blood pressure medications, as I'm sure you'll know, Greg, is that they can have contraindications for your kidneys because they're often about also reducing water. So if you take them over long periods of time, there, there are those sorts of potential issues. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I'm so glad to hear you got off your medications. <laughs> because again, if, if your blood pressure, if they kept increasing the medication, it would be a whack-a-mole. Your blood pressure would go up slightly because you're aging. The blood pressure medication, your body would get used to that level. They would see that your blood pressure went up. They'd give you more medication. Like it's, you know, it's crazy. And clearly you're doing well without it. So that is another thing we talked at the very beginning of the call about how people want to feel. If a person wants to feel how they would feel if they were naturally or, or non-medicated, and is it safe for me to do that? I'd just like to see whether I can do this on my own. 
then I think that's a, that's a fair enough thing to go to a doctor with and say, look, I would like to see what it feels like to just have my own blood pressure regulating itself. And and I would say to people here, I actually did work with the doctor to ensure that was clear. It was on my doctor's recommendation, and she was a, a young, a younger doctor, much more open to this. And she said to me, "I think you could come." down and possibly off this meds if this continues. And she was really supportive. And then I had, um, when I came here to live in Sweden, it's different again. And the doctor I had, then she did, a, she had a blood pressure monitor on me over the whole 24 hours. And she, she was really good. She went through all the graphs with me and she showed me that my blood, everything was just fine with my actual circulatory system because my blood pressure did exactly what it should do at night. It dropped like a stone. And so she said to me, if you lose a little bit of weight and you keep exercising and, and you know, and you manage the stress and sleep well, then there isn't a reason why you need these meds. So it is possible. It's not something you just rip away and walk away from, but you keep and you keep it in check. Absolutely. And if I would say that if somebody goes to a doctor and for the first time their blood pressure is high, my first question is, can I try? Not, not for me. I have been there, but I'm not currently. But I would ask if you don't want to take a medication, how about we try lifestyle for six weeks and I'll come back in and you can test me again? Because quite often, an increase in blood pressure, unless it's, you know, if it's screaming high, then, you know, take whatever they want to give you immediately. But if you just have a slightly elevated blood pressure for your age, there's that phrase again, see if you can bring it down with lifestyle. And what made me think about that, Clarissa, is what you said, the doctor said, if you could lose, you know, you lose a few pounds and you keep up with your exercise. It is the miracle cure. Exercise and a couple of pounds off, honestly, can bring your blood pressure down really quickly. Yep. And there's been plenty of studies done in the UK where people who were had high blood pressure didn't have any exercise. I mean, and that's there are plenty of people like that. And they encouraged them to go for a 30-minute walk every day. And it was a it was a program on think on the BBC and there was a doctor involved. Their blood pressure went down. It went down to much, much lower, closer to normal levels, literally by walking 30 minutes a day. So we don't have to go crazy in the gym. <laughs> we don't have to go crazy like that. <laughs> no, and think of all the people that have not been able to go to the gym anyway this year. I think I was talking to a bunch of friends of mine were over the other day, all my age, and people are not even really thinking about going back to the gym when it opens. Yeah, we miss having a class with other people and this and that, but we've all found ways to be outside more or to get our exercise at home. That's true. I haven't been to the yoga studio and I'm sure many of our listeners haven't been. I loved being in a yoga class, but the reality is I don't want to be on yoga blankets and stuff that other people have been on and in a small confined room where lots of emphasis on breathing. Well, <laughs> you know, that's not, that's not something I'm up for right now. So yes, we find other ways. So even though it's been hard with lockdown and this pandemic, we can, you know, pop on a, a free yoga class because they they exist. And, and I have a friend, she lives in LA and she runs great yoga classes online every day. And I tune into Nico and follow along. They're tough as well. <laughs> and then I walk my dogs because my dogs need walking. So that's, that feels like, you know, when we have this conversation going, it's very much how much of this is in our own hands too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, 
there's a whole movement out there called natural movement as a way to be physically fit and healthy. And it came from the blue zones. I think the book that I'm sure most listeners have heard of about the places in the world where people live to a hundred regularly. And one of the things that they spoke about, which is relating to our conversation now about not having a gym, not needing to have a gym or other things is why these people stay healthy is they are moving a lot during the day. But the movement includes bending down. You mentioned before bending down to pick things up, squatting down to do something on the ground when you're like gardening, walking from place to place rather than having a car all the time, and lifting, picking up groceries. Those are all the kinds of natural movement that if we keep in our day-to-day, help us stay fit overall and flexible. You mentioned the word flexible earlier too. That's another biggie, right? We don't want to stiffen up. Yeah, absolutely. And I love, I mean, the Blue Zone has been an amazing program. And it has definitely as a sort of study, longitudinal study, if you haven't read it, I'll say to the listeners, it's worth checking out. And I know there are places in Okinawa in Japan and some Greek islands and various other places. You know, people just, as you said, do natural movements. There And that's part of a book called Exercised by Dan Lieberman that has come out as well, which has had a lot of rave reviews. And I think he looks at how people who are indigenous, you know, in Bushmen in the Kalahari and that sort of thing, move. And like you said, it's a lot of squatting. It's getting up to put wood on the fire if you are sitting down. And you're right, it's walking and and gardening. It's all those simple things that keep their bodies fit without the need of a gym, which is an artificial scenario, really. Yeah. And I think gyms are meant for young people. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. But there are times when I used to go to the gym. And of course, not that I was comparing myself because women don't do that, do they? Just that I would find that some of the instructors who were younger were too fast for me or too, you know, I like to be, and like I said, I like my exercise fast, like a high tempo, but I don't want to try and be a 20 year old in a gym anymore. No. And I think there's a lot of emphasis on jumping and things like that, which, which, you know, as I've said, maybe many times and people who've listened to this podcast before jumping on women's pelvic floors, as we get into our fifties and sixties, aren't always the best of friends. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we don't want to leak, but, you know, we don't have the same elasticity as we as we had. And our knees, we need to look after things like our knees and our hips and our ankles. We don't have to be crotchety and think, oh, we can't move. But we just need to be a bit more protective of our joints because they've worked a long time already. Yes, exactly. So and lovely. Well, Greg, you know, I've enjoyed talking to you about this and, and we've ended up with a conversation about you know, aging and aging well, which is, I think, such a great theme. How can people get in touch with you and learn more about the work you do? Thank you for asking. My website is Rebellious Wellness, over 50, which is the number, 50.com. And I, I, for people who are in that perimenopause early menopause stage who would like some easy to consume information. I actually wrote a book, which you can find on my website and get a couple of free chapters. It's called Your Genes, G-E-N-E-S. Do not determine the size of your genes, G-E-A-N-S. And that's really based on the myths about aging in women and the science of epigenetics, which says 
that the things around, the environment around cells is more important than what's inside the cell. So according to the latest aging studies, about 30% of how we age will be determined by our genes, and that leaves a huge number, 70% of what we can do to influence that. So pretty much everything I have a couple of you know, I have a simple lifestyle assessment with a call with me if somebody just wants to see where they are, you know, how they're doing their day and whether that's going to look good for them in another 10, 20 years. And then I have program and I have coaching. So it's all there on the website. That is fantastic. I have enjoyed talking to you and I want to thank you for coming on Thriving Through Menopause and sharing your wisdom and your experiences. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed our conversation. We covered a lot. We did. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have loved or liked this episode, then I would be deeply grateful if you would head over to iTunes and give it a five-star rating. My mission is to reach as many women as possible, menopausal midlife women who may be feeling alone and asking questions. Why do I feel this way? Thriving Through Menopause is all about a community and our collective wisdom. You matter to me. Your feedback, opinions and stories matter to me. And I would love to hear from you. So drop me an email, clarissa at clarissachristensen.com. I genuinely want your feedback and your ideas on the topics that you would like to hear more of on this podcast. And if you are a woman who feels that they are struggling alone through menopause and you need more support, pop over to my website, clarissachristiansen.com. You can find free resources and you can book a one-to-one discovery call with me. Let's start conversation. Thank you once again for listening. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives for newly appointed agents. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the United States Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers usbp. That's cbp.gov careers usbp. Everyone knows that putting money aside in savings is really important. But then what? Should you keep your savings locked in a CD for a higher rate or keep them liquid in a money market? Can your checking account help you save too? Or is it about creating the right combination? We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about the savings options that are right for you. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com. Member FDIC.